Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good. That was actually a pretty good game, even though the Oilers lost. That was um, They lost 3-1 to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, Tampa Bay is a really, 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 really fast hockey team. Oh, and uh, a, a team with a huge amount of effort in their game. I really like the way they played. That is how I'd like to see the Edmonton Oilers play. Um, that was a just a very smart, hardworking hockey team with some really good defensemen. Boy, Sergachev would have looked, Mikhail Sergachev would have looked good with the Edmonton Oilers, but of course they used that pick on Jesse Pelley-Arby. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. Let's start out with your good thing. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Oilers five-on-five game, which is basically 54 minutes of the 60. And, you know, they sawed off one-to-one in the five-on-five portion of the game. And they uh, and they uh, had all the power plays, and they wound up losing, finding a way to somehow lose the game. But five-on-five, they largely held their own. Tampa was kind of all over them at, at, at times. Um, but for Edmonton basically going with, with one strong line and three checking lines, they, they at least hung around in the game and gave themselves a chance to win it. Thanks. I just was telling my wife to go eat her corn chips in another room. So <laughs> they're kind of crunchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such is the life of the kitchen podcaster. Right. Um, <laughs> It was a good effort by the Oilers, Bruce. I just thought they they tried hard all game. They just were beaten by a better team. Tampa had 12 uh, grade-A chances to, or 11 grade-A chances to seven for the Oilers. And they had a lot of really, really good chances. And Mike Smith played pretty well in that game. My good thing was, I thought it was probably Caleb Jones' best game of the year. Uh, He scored the goal. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the coach liked him so much that he had him out there right at the end of the game. He wasn't able mm-hmm. to keep the puck in when the Oilers were six on five, but um, he's a smart player. He's a really good player. And and I've said this before, and I'm going to stick with it. I think that he's going to be as good a player as, as Ethan Bear. And um, he's not getting the opportunity because they have, you know, he's not a right D, Ethan Bear is. They have mm-hmm. Clefbaum and Nurse ahead of him. But um, he's, a, he's, a re- he's a modern NHL D man. He can really skate. He can really pass the puck. And he's got a way of getting shots through from the point, joining the attack. I really like his game. I liked his game a lot last year when Ken Hitchcock fell in love with the player to the extent that he used him in the top pairing until he kind of fell apart and got sent back to the minors. But I think Jones is coming on, and it's he's just a really important player for the Oilers. They need that third pairing to go, and um, hopefully Matt Benning's okay after that awful uh, hit that he took. I don't know if that hit was was a dirty Head hit or shot. not. What, uh, well, shoulder, did he hit him in shoulder the shoulder cap to the chin? I call it. A, he, uh, I call yeah. it a penalty. A minimum, it's a penalty. Yeah, I, I hit to the head. Couldn't tell from the replay whether he made mm-hmm. contact with Benning's shoulder, Benning's body, or if he actually hit him in the head. Well, I, wasn't I thought he hit him sure. in the head, and I saw Benning bleeding from the chin on the bench, which is a pretty good clue that maybe he got hit in the chin. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, so the Oilers need those two guys going, and. Um, um, they were going. They they played a really strong game. Um, they were they were an effective pairing, and I think Jones got. I thought he might have been. He only he got to in the end fourteen twenty six, of ice time, which is more than he usually gets. He's usually around I think 
11 or 12. So anyway, excellent game from Caleb Jones and good to see him playing with confidence and stepping up just when the team needs him to do that. Because Bruce, they're going to have to find goals somewhere with McDavid out. And um, we got a we got a goal from the dry side of line uh, that that um, Nuge set Jones. up Jones, yeah. but um, we're going to need the defense to step up and and make some offensive plays. Yeah, that's for sure. And and Jones did uh, did nicely there. Bruce, what is your um, bad thing on the night? Well, having praised the Oilers play five on five, I'm going to dis their play with uh, extra man. Uh, five on four, uh, they had two power plays, uh, struggled mightily to gain the zone. And boy, is that an area where they badly missed Connor McDavid because yeah. he, he is an absolute wizard of the zone entry on the power play. Like he's basically unstoppable uh, from at least getting over the blue line because if they force him, he'll make the pass. And the Oilers uh, tried and failed to do that a number of times. They generated just one shot on net in the two power plays, and they gave up one shot on net, which turned out to be the game-winning goal when they when they uh, botched another zone entry. Uh, Leon Drysaddle turned the puck over uh, at the blue line with an attempted pass to the wing, and Oscar Kleffbaum, to me, I don't know what he was doing on that play. Like He was standing still at the blue line, and he wasn't backing up the play. Uh, he, uh, he didn't read what was going to go wrong. He didn't react to what went wrong and he didn't win the race. Like he just was slow in, in, in responding. And of course, once the Annie Gord got a step on him, he wasn't going to catch him then. But I just thought Oscar's play there was, was a bit poor. And obviously the pass was poor. And that was, I mean, that was a game. That was, you know. Yeah, that was the game. I agree. It, and then, that's such a blow to the team, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. a psychological blow and you're kind of done. And then six on five at the end, they decided, uh, coach decided to put out Zach Cassian as the sixth forward. And uh, Cass- Cassian had three times full possession of the puck in Tampa Bay's end, and three times he passed it to nobody. And the third time he passed it 20 feet from anybody, and Tampa got it out of the zone and into the empty net. Like, I have no idea where that puck was going, but it wasn't anywhere close to any oiler. He had five teammates to choose, and he found a dead space where none of them was close to it. Just a brutal play. And that was a yeah. game. If it wasn't already over, that was yeah. obviously. And you, yeah. you just got to, when you have the extra man, you got to use them. I mean, pass the puck to a teammate or put it in the corner where at least you've got strength and numbers you can go after. Don't cross everybody up by putting it in the other corner where nobody is. Not good. I counted the same three times from Cassian, and I was mm-hmm. thinking of mentioning it. My bad thing, Bruce, has to do with Cassian. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen. It's 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 what I'm seeing on Twitter right now. People jumping the gun on suspending him. Like, because there's I saw one kind of person who's on TSN radio saying, you know, start this off at 41 game suspension. What? I mean, yeah, exactly. I just think, okay, it was a it, it was a, an ill advised move. He does actually kick in the direction, but I have yet to see a replay. I've yet to see anything to show me that he actually made contact with the guy. I, I'm not sure that he did, and I'd like to see that replay. I haven't heard any of the post-game comments, if, if anyone's complaining about that yet. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did make contact with the guy. Maybe he kicked him right in the middle of the chest with his skate. Mm-hmm. If so, yeah, he he should be suspended. <clears throat> Let's see exactly what he did, though, before we st- start flying off the handle. I mean, Justin Bourne was on TV. He went on it about twice. But there was no replay showing that he ever made contact. And I'm not, from from my from Chernick's reaction, from the player's reaction, and from 
I, I don't, I'm not sure that contact was ever made. So I, this could be much ado about nothing essentially. And we don't know yet. We will know now, but until you're sure, maybe just hold back on the most aggressive reaction in terms mm-hmm. of the play. Yeah. I mean, I saw Cassian kind of <clears throat> push his skate forward. The blade and the bottom of his boot disappeared from view. The guy's shoulder went back about an inch. Uh, somebody else suggested it was maybe the contact from the other oiler was underneath the pile, Josh Archibald, which uh, which spun him around a little bit. I don't know. All I know is that there's one angle, and if there was a video review on a goal, um, they would never call the puck over the line because you can't see the puck. Well, in this case, you can't see the skates. So you, you know, there's no way to tell if contact was made. I mean, maybe the maybe Chernak's got a big cut across his jersey. Uh, it was around the height of the you know the shoulder pads, but uh, you can't excuse the the kick itself. I mean, you shouldn't be lashing out with those with those uh, blades. But uh, uh, there's got to be uh, there's got to be more than one camera angle. You can't convict the player based on that or based on his reputation, which is what I dare say a lot of the over the top commentaries from. Zach Cassian did it, then it must have been. Well, you know, someone else was talking about his intent. Well, maybe his intent was to kind of kick towards him, but not actually hit him. You know, some sometimes you can people are under control of themselves. They can actually judge. You know, I'm gonna hit you all. I almost hit you, but I I held up at the last second. Now it was a stu- it was a stupid kicking motion, and maybe he did make contact again if he did. But I just think in all these situations, and we see this not just in hockey games, but in throughout society, like something happens and everyone immediately blows it up big, and it's like mm-hmm. the worst possible thing ever. Yeah. Just I just think it's it's incumbent on all of us in those moments to until we actually see clear evidence just to with withdraw judgment so that's what i'm going to do i'm going to say if he made contact i'm going to say suspend the guy but if he mm-hmm. didn't there's no suspension he, it's he it, there, he didn't hit him so let's just wait and see that's my point yeah. i mean he was on his side and he was trying to get up and sometimes you flail a little bit while you're doing that i'd have to look at it 20 more times to see if that's even what he was doing but if that if again if they only have that one angle uh, it's to me pretty inconclusive. Like it looks bad, but you can't really well, you tell. Have to, yeah, I guess they could talk to the player and the refs. There's four uh, four eyes on the ice from the officials, so none of whom called a penalty on the play. None of whom who called a penalty on the play. So we'll see. All right, your number, Bruce. Well, I'm going to go with the number ninety. Uh, this is number of points by Leon Dreisaitl now. That's nine points ahead of the rest of the NHL. So he's 10% ahead of the league at this moment in time. And sometimes you got to be you got to be lucky to be good. And he made he made quite a few good plays in this game. Obviously, he made a, a, an error on a, on an important play. Uh, but the play on the goal was pretty funny because, uh, as you know, the NHL counts back touches and uh, until they get uh, three points. Well, this play, <clears throat> as I saw it, was Dreisaitl to Jones behind Edmonton's goal line, 200 <laughs> feet from the other net. Jones carried it up. Jones passed it towards Yamamoto. It was knocked out of the air back to Jones. Jones passed it to uh, uh, Nugent Hopkins. He passed it back to Jones. Jones shot. It was blocked. It bounced back to Jones. Jones shot again and scored. So the puck went from Dreisaitl to Jones to Jones to Nugent Hopkins to Jones to Jones again. But because uh, Drysaddle was the third last guy on the countback, different guy, to touch the puck, he wound up getting the point and his 90th of the year. So a very strange play. You don't usually see, like Jones literally made two passes and two shots after 
Drysaddle passed him the puck, and yet Leon still was uh, got an assist by NHL rules. And of course, Jones's biggest con- or Drysaddle's biggest contribution on that goal was staying, staying on side. Staying And uh, Yamamoto made a nice con- contribution, going harder than that on that play, which opened up the slot on the um, on the rebound shot for. But yeah, his his staying on side was pretty miraculous, and I, I was glad there wasn't a uh, review of that because I wasn't completely sure that he did stay on side. So anyway, that's that was a good thing. You know, the interesting thing about Drysaddle Bruce is he's got ninety points. He's nine points ahead of everybody else. He leads in points per game. But I was looking at the uh, some of these odds makers, three different odds makers, and they had all at the top ten for MVP candidates. Nowhere was Leon Drysaddle on the list, and people could say, well. It's because McDavid's on the team, but there was a couple Boston Bruins there. I mean, he's just completely, yeah. completely overlooked in terms of you know being a, a candidate for the uh, Hart Trophy, which is not really fair. David Pasternak, number three, and Brad Marchand, number four. You're saying they don't help one another a little bit? Yeah, and it's a fact that since uh, Drysaddle and, and McDavid were split up on separate lines, that Leon's actually gotten hotter than he was before. Uh, he hasn't been leaning on McDavid in any, you know, power play. Sure, they play together on the power play, but uh, that seems to be a pretty even share arrangement. They both uh, they both do their part, but uh, it's uh, one of those. Uh, uh, McDa- uh, McDavid has such a reputation that the entire rest of the team is overshadowed, even the league scoring leader. Hello. Yeah, people like to make a lot of a lot of, well, this is just McDavid and nobody else, and it's a one-man team mm-hmm. and nobody else, and I think a little bit too much is made of that. Bruce, my number is 2450. Um, that was Ryan Nugent Hopkins yeah. uh, leading ice time tonight. Man, are they leading on Nuge, and man, is he ever playing well. He got another point tonight. Um, since December 29th, since Yamamoto was called up and this new line was created, he, again, is the, I think he's the fourth leading scorer in the NHL the last time I checked. It's just playing great hockey. And per it's, game, it's, yeah. Yeah, per game. Because, yeah, teams have played different number of games, of course, since then. Um, it's great to see Nugent Hopkins, as I called him, uh, in my, my headline was Rising Nugent Hopkins. Um, it's just great to see him uh, enjoy this kind of success with the Oilers, get, get, get two linemates that he's got great chemistry with, and really make a case um, for bringing him back on a new contract. Because I, th- I think he is a winger. And I think he's a really strong winger. Um, he's, I think he could maybe even be with Drysaddle and McDavid a point a game winger over a full season. So uh, that player is going to be worth keeping. And I, I always feared that he would be traded before they tried him on the wing with McDavid and uh-huh. Drysaddle. And you know he did get that chance with McDavid, and I think he did pretty well, especially the one year, not so much the last year. But he's really acing it now and that line is just spectacular they didn't have you know they didn't you know get the result tonight they needed to score two goals and they came close to scoring two goals i was hoping the owners would come out of this with a loser point actually with yeah my, i would have kind I of my fond happy dream. with one point out of this so game. i was sitting there watching the game and thinking oh maybe we'll get a loser point but but um and they would have but they just that line couldn't connect on one more goal and and the other lines are going to have a hard let's face it they're going to have a hard time scoring chase well, on Gagne and Haas might pop in a goal, you know, maybe Shan and Archibald will get one now in Cassian, but um, this is gonna, Andrei, not going to be easy. Andrei Vasilevsky, you know, when they did break through that uh, forest of sticks and legs and uh, and all the shooting and passing lanes in Tampa's end and did muster shots, they got a few pretty good looks at Andrei Vasilevsky, and he had the answers, and he's been on fire. 
in two months, since December 14th to February 13th, 18 wins, zero regulation losses, two overtime losses. So he's got 38 of a possible 40 points, or the team has. And obviously the team is a big part of it. But uh, you could see just from tonight's game, without having seen that team play a lot of games, that Vasilevsky himself plays a huge part of that team's success. Yeah. The last chance the Oilers had was that rush in the near the end of the game where Nuge... Um, um, was stopped at the side of the net. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got fed by, I think it was Yamamoto who fed him, and, and he got stopped at the side of the net. And then the puck went to Jones, who fed cross-seam Dreisaitl, who got a great shot off, and Vasilevsky uh, stoned him, and that was the game, really. I, you know, The Oilers, were, they just needed everything to go right, essentially, to get a point mm-hmm. out of that game. And, not an, and they came close, but... And he made a great save off of Gagne with maybe... Three minutes left. Yes, that's true too. Puck came through. Kara. It looked like Kara had an open net, but the guy deflected it away from Kara. I was, I was kind of cursing a bit that he couldn't get a stick on it, but that was actually a defensive play. But it went to Gagne, and Vasilevsky came over, not just scrambling, but upright because Sam went upstairs. He thought he the goalie'd be coming low across. And he Sam didn't miss, but Vasilevsky just did a tremendous job to scramble and get across upright and get his whole upper body in the shooting lane and so it is nothing more frustrating than playing against a good team and you finally get through the team and then the freaking goalie is as good or better than the team in front of him is ken dryden <laughs> <laughs> yeah such it's so it was tonight well bruce that's yeah. uh, that's it for tonight so um thanks for talking yeah i better let you get your kitchen free over there david yeah. Uh, yeah. thanks thanks for listening everyone Yeah, my daughter's got to make Valentine cookies for her friends. So, all right. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.